This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everybody, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Wednesday. That means Bill Barney's joining us today. We're excited. Bill's back at his house, and he's going to be joining us on the show today. It's Wednesday. It's Akuma Wednesday. We'll be talking Akuma products here throughout the show, and we got the great Bill Varney joining us and he's just back from <clears throat> the show down there in San Diego. And we're going to be talking about all this weather coming through here, what it's going to do to fishing and how exciting it's all going to be, because it is going to be very exciting for what's on the table and what's coming up. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Pacific coast sport fishing festival coming up here on the 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th of March. And uh, we're just going to basically answer all your questions today. Today's pretty much going to be ask us anything you want. You all got, I know you have plenty of questions to ask Bill Barney about surf fishing. So we're not going to waste a lot of time getting into what we're going to do. We're just going to get in and start doing it. So those of you that are here, thank you. Welcome for joining the show. And the rest of you that are coming in here. Yeah, thank you very much, Darren. Yep, big day today. I am. Officially a senior citizen today. It's an amazing day. Thank you all for joining us. Let's just get Bill in here and get this show rolling along. I want to know what he's been doing. Bill, welcome to the show. Bam! Glad to be back. My Lord. Felt like I was in purgatory there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, Dave Hansen. Thank you very much, Mr. Bill Varney. Kelly and I just had a wonderful day at the beach. We must have saw a hundred humpback whales breaching all over the place, babies. Wow. Nice and, nice and warm. The water is 77 degrees. It's beautiful down here right now. It is gorgeous. Ouch. So what's going on, Bill? Where you been? What have you been doing? Tell us. Well, I'm just back from the Bart Hall show in Del Mar. We, we had a good show down there. Um, you know, not as many people and not as many vendors as, as we've had in the past, for sure. But we had a lot of people there who, you know, were really excited about being there. I would say, gosh, I must have had 20 people come by my booth with Saltwater Guide t-shirts on telling me about how great it is to see Dave and to 
to hear me some days on the radio, on the podcast, rather, and learning something and having lots of questions. And people are just super excited about fishing in the upcoming season. So we had, we had a good time down there. Um, as I said, met a lot of people, saw some new um, trends and some new equipment and stuff in the fishing world. And it's nice to be back. Oh, yeah. Did you drive back? I drove back. We had beautiful weather coming back. Um, when we got to Utah, which was um, yet day before yesterday, but we left Utah yesterday, they were expecting three feet of snow. So we, <laughs> we had to get in front of that. We had to definitely get in front of that stuff and, and get home before that giant storm, which hit California. is actually just kind of finishing up in California is making its way here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that looks like they're having a hell of a time there in Rancho Palos Verdes. My gosh, the whole place is sliding into the ocean. You and I, we know that place has been sliding around for years, but this is a real El Nino. That's for dang sure. If you guys were wondering if there's a real El Nino on, this is a real one, gang. This is a real one. They're going to talk about this. When you're Bill and I's age, you're going to go, yeah, remember 2024? Just like I talk about this hoop netting thing, we've never seen lobster fishing. Like, thank you, Mike Lewis, Gary, every single person. I know there's going to be a lot of you wishing me a happy birthday. I don't want to miss any of you. So thank you all very, very much. I really appreciate all the love and all the all the uh, birthday wishes for everybody. So I just, let's touch on that real quick. But this lobster hoop netting thing that we're doing at night, Justin will be out there tonight again. It just keeps rolling along. It's just absolutely amazing. In my 30, short little 30-year career of hoop netting, I've never seen anything like this. And Justin, he's been doing it for 15 years. He's never seen anything like this. And it's just incredible. And if this shows us anything about what's going to happen this year fishing, I think we're all in store for some phenomenal fishing. What do you think, buddy? Well, you know, I, I would have to agree, although, um, you know, God, I, I was thinking about it this morning and I, I cannot remember uh, a winter like this winter. Um, in California, you know, we've had these tremendous swells. We're just getting we're at the very tail end right now of this huge swell that came out of the West. It's only 800 miles offshore, straight off of southern california right now with 35 foot seas that's kind of ending up right now we're going to see a couple of those big swells come after it more out of the north i think a little bit but you know here in colorado we've had a tremendous amount of snow as expected um but the temperature in in colorado in in utah is much warmer than it normally is i believe denver was 65 yesterday when you're thinking of the middle of february where I live at 10,200 feet and it's 41 degrees, very, very unusual. There's a tremendous amount of water in the Colorado River already feeding its way into, um, you know, Lake Mead and Powell and, and so forth. And, um, you know, what we have seen traditionally in the past in the surf when we have weather like this is that the water temperature doesn't cool particularly. Um, and then what happens is we see less, I, I would say less numbers of, of surf fish in San Diego in the summer, greater numbers of surf fish as we go up the coast. 
So rather than maybe Huntington Beach, San Diego being some of the top surf fishing spots this summer, we might be looking at Ventura, Oxnard, Ventura, La Conchita, um, Carpinteria, and Santa Barbara as maybe having some of the biggest Corbina of the year this summer coming up. So this is a very unusual year. The water temperature in off of Southern California, Seal Beach, is still around 60 degrees, <laughs> which is really warm. It's about six degrees warmer than it traditionally is. The water in Santa Barbara Harbor dipped to 57 degrees. Here's a place where the water should be around 50 degrees. So we've got some really warm water. We're halfway through the winter on the West Coast. I don't think we're going to see the water temperature dip much. And, and traditionally what we've seen is that not as many sand crabs will come to the surface or will be born down in San Diego. There'll be more in the Orange County, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, Halama, uh, uh, Point Conception type of area, which bodes well for central and, and northern southern California for the summer. So very unusual weather conditions, not out of the ordinary. We're not talking about some climate change here. We're just talking about our traditional El Ninos. We've seen them in 84. We've seen them in 92. We saw them in 2017. We're going to see it here in 2024. Very common. And so when we did see those, Dave, as you remember offshore, and, and especially in one of the stronger ones we had, we saw Wahoo. So will we see Wahoo come into California waters? Will we see more Dorado? Will we see a, a downturn in yellowtail, but an upturn in tuna? I think that's what we're going to see for the summer coming up. That, that would, I don't think that would bother too many people here. I think they'd be pretty excited. The um, thing about down here in Cabo is the w water hasn't gotten cold yet either. And I mean, normally this time of year, we're looking at 68, 69 degree water. We're catching lots of yellowtail. We don't have that fish right now. We don't have it. We have marlin. I was watching. Kelly and I were down at the beach today to start our day off. Kelly said I could do whatever I want. I said, let's go to the beach. So we went down to the beach this morning, and there was probably 40 or 50 charter boats right there off of Santa Maria, between Santa Maria and Chileno Bay. And uh, they were all, you know, trolling around. But there was quite a few boats going backwards catching striped marlin which is pretty spectacular, two, three miles off the beach. We could see them with the uh, field glass. I didn't have my gyros with me, but we could see them with the field glasses. Water's extremely warm, 77 on the beach. I'm not sure what it was out there where they're at, probably in the middle to low 70s anyway, I would think. And that's pretty spectacular for the end of February. I'm, I mean, come on, that is absolutely amazing. This time of year, usually we're doing some bottom jigging, some yellowtail fishing some yo-yo iron stuff but not what's going on right now so that probably bodes very well for what's going to come flying up the coast and they've had dorado down here the whole winter long which you know that's a good sign too for what's going on but i wanted to know something that i used to do when i was a kid in san clemente and i was thinking about this when i was on the beach and the rest of you are going to have to just listen to my question as i wait for you guys to all ask your questions we used to fish Corvina in front of my friend's house on Beach Road, Bill, and we used mussels, mm -hmm. and we put mm -hmm. them on treble hooks, and he had, mm -hmm. and I didn't know nothing about, and we would tie it on with red thread, 
the muscles on mm-hmm. you would half hitch it on there a couple four or five times so it wouldn't fall because you know muscles are hard to hook anyway there's they're just like a big snot is that something you do anymore or is that just a kid thing that that's absolutely something we we do you know you know mu- fishing with muscles seems to be particularly good when the water is really warm and, and i think and, and so we're talking about end of july august september all year long it works but those have been particularly good times and and i think to some extent because when that water gets warm those muscles open up on the rocks outside of that well in the harbor too but but outside in the open ocean and they have a tendency to lose their innards and be open enough for the crabs to grab them and that stuff to float out in the water so it's always been really effective that time of year and and yeah back in the day you know we we would take and we would use a treble hook because it was like putting a giant snot on there and you know the only way to hold it on there was using a treble or like you said using uh well, we, we would use thread, just like you said, red or orange thread. And then people later would use dental floss and stuff to hold it on there. But, you know, we learned probably, gosh, 25 years ago that, yeah, you can put a big giant ball on there and you can throw that stuff out there and you, you'll get a fish now and then. Um, but we learned two things. One is we learned is that when those uh, muscles are washed from the rocks and, and, and fish go out to feed on them. And sometimes they're ripped off by kelp, they're ripped off by waves, stuff like that. They still have some of the shell on them. They're not completely peeled off and cleaned out and it's a big chunk there. So we will often fish them by cr- taking a smaller one, crushing it with a rock or something, a hammer. Sometimes I use my hemostats and can break them open. And then actually just hook the whole darn thing on there, shell and all, take about a third of the shell off and cast that out. That's a really good thing. But without question, the best way to use mussels is go find those mussels on the outside of the harbor. When you go inside the harbor, you find two basic types of mussels. One is just your traditional mussel that's got brown and burnt orange and and kind of black uh, meat inside of it. And, And it will be much smaller in size. And then you'll also find a green mussel, which when you open it up, it'll blow your mind. It's a chartreuse green. It's the brightest green inside of it you'll ever see of anything in the ocean. That works really well inside the harbor. But when we go outside, what we like to use is we like to use those mussels off the rocks. Now, if you go out to rocks that are on a jetty, like, for example, one of the seven jetties that are outside of Newport Harbor, those mussels are, can be really big. I mean, they can be eight, nine inches long, really strong because they're hanging onto those rocks with the waves crashing. You open those up. All I do on those is I take the lip off the outside. You take that lip off. It's about the diameter of a pencil, maybe about four inches longer than a pencil. And I will normally cut that in half, take a worm hook, feed it up the worm hook so it comes off the hook perfectly straight. It's about this long, looks just like a worm that's going to be brown and orange. And the thing is, is as you're dragging that thing slowly back to shore, the tail on that thing is going back and forth, just like a worm coming out of the bottom. And I cannot tell you how many halibut, big halibut, I've caught on that, let alone the perch and the spot fin, yellowfin croaker, and of course the corbina. So there's a lot of use with that muscle. And as I said, there's three variety 
outside the harbor, that big one, we use the lip. We don't use the inside of it. We normally take that inside and throw it out in the water in front of us to act as a chum and then pull drag our bait back through that. But inside the harbor, we've got this green muscle that we do use the whole chunk. And sometimes we'll use a small treble hook or a single hook and get it on there a bunch of times and then take either the lip or the white muscle that holds it to the shell, put that on the hook as our very last thing we hook on there. It holds it all on there and fish with that inside the harbor. And wherever we're fishing with muscle, we're always fishing adjacent to rock structure because that's naturally where that muscle is going to be washed off of. So you kind of match in the hatch, for lack of a better word. Exactly. Exactly. I never thought of and everything on there. That makes all the sense in the world. Nothing cleans it all off. That makes all the sense in the world. And Jeanette, thank you very much for wishing me happy birthday. And thank you for the mic thing, because that was my fault. I forgot to switch it over to the right mic. I was on the computer mic, but now we're on this mic. So I'm sure you guys hear me just fine. But um. I am super excited to get out there and do some surf fishing build now that you're a part of this, your saltwater guide family. And I know there's a bunch of people that were super excited to meet you up in Long Beach and, and they want to know, are you coming to the PCS show? Are you going to be in? I, I'm going to try to come out there. I, I don't have a, a booth out there at PCS, but I am trying to get out there and be in the, the uh, I'll come and hang out with you, of course. And then over in the CCA booth, just like you did in Long Beach. So looking forward to that. And, and we'll know in a couple of weeks, I'll be flying out there and drop on in and see what's going on. And love, love to talk to folks about surf fishing and look at everybody's pictures and figure out our plan for this upcoming spring. Yeah, I think it's going to be incredible. I think we're in store for just an absolutely phenomenal year. Just everything's going to be set up. How cool would it be to do some of that stuff that Wes talks about catching Dorado on the beach? It could definitely happen because you and I, we before we went live today, we talked this morning when you called and wished me a happy birthday. We talked about... El Nino in 83, the real El Nino, the one that when the water was 85 at Dana Point, we caught sailfish, there were whale sharks, all that cool stuff that was going on. We didn't have any real gear back then. There could have been Wahoo. We were getting snapped off. All we had was pens and monofilament line. We don't really know. No one was really paying attention. That was kind of an overwhelming thing that happened to us, and nobody even knew the word El Nino then in 83. But there was Dorado in the surf people were seeing them while they were surfing there was guys telling me all the time they were jumping around their surfboards and stuff so if this is a real el nino and boy does it sure look like it with all the rain and all the moisture in the air and, and like you're saying in colorado it's a cement type of snow it's not that soft powder mm -hmm. snow that you're used to because everything's so wet wet and not mm -hmm. freezing ice cold where the, the snow's coming down like powder Everything has the makings to be a real El Nino. And we had Chris Dunn on here a couple months ago, and he was talking about how El Nino and the different things and the wetness, the the dampness, the the rain. And boy, it hasn't disappointed. They're record-breaking rain day in and day out in Southern California. So I'm just very excited. And then the new beaches, all the beaches have totally changed the way they were in the last four or five exactly. years. None of those beaches are like they were. No, what's go completely, completely changed. Right. What's going on up in Palos Verdes? What's going on in San Clemente? 
what's going on in Laguna Beach. Gang, you have, it's mind-bending, the, the transformation of all these beaches, the landslides coming down the hill, all this stuff going into the ocean. Unfortunate, unfortunate, we're losing some homes and stuff, but Bill and I will tell you, it is very, very good for the ocean. It is bringing in nutrients that it hasn't seen in a very long time. The bait is going to be, there's going to be so much bait everywhere because this bait fish thrives on all these new nutrients and all this new stuff going into the ocean from the rain gang. It is going to be a really, really good thing. Why don't you touch on that for a minute? Yeah, it, it's just amazing to think about all this stuff going into the water, not only from the rain. You know, you know, if, if, if a lot of you may have noticed that before this last storm came into California on, on Sunday into Monday there, um, and in particular on Monday, there was a tremendous amount of drizzle prior to the storm getting in. So the atmosphere... From, from the clouds to the surface of the planet was so saturated with moisture. And that's why we're getting this tremendous amount of, of water is that we're not seeing um, verga, which is rain, um, uh, which basically comes out of the clouds and then before it hits the ground, it evaporates. We're getting very little of that because we have a very wet atmosphere. And that's why there's so much water, but, you know, not only in California, but, but Nevada, Nevada, Utah, Montana, Colorado, you know, our, our snowpack has, has probably three times the amount of water in it right now that we would normally have. So all of that leads to it. And then all of the runoff. And when you think of Isla Vista, um, basically um, the houses along there calving off into the ocean, um, which is really no surprise to all of us that are 65 years old and older <laughs> who've seen these cliffs getting smaller and smaller, you know, calving off as they naturally would, as nature has it, a, a, as God has planned for them to calve off into the ocean. That's nothing new. And all of that stuff leads to helping putting more nutrients into the water. That's going to bring in all the bait fish closer to feed as the bait fish come in and, and they explode in their populations. The biomass is going to follow them. So none of this is a surprise. It, it's all great stuff. And we just continue to watch, you know, nature just take its normal course. And, and you know, really, I... I, I, I guess to some extent, I feel bad for the millionaires and billionaires who've got their houses on the coast that are getting battered and some of them are, are, are you know, calving off and going into the ocean. But on the other hand, it is absolutely no surprise to any of us who've been around the ocean our whole lives that, that the cliffs give away. That, that's just the way the earth works. I mean, you, you go drive through the middle of Utah. And, and before you get to Green River, which is in absolutely middle of nowhere, there is a giant reef there that every time I drive by it, I just imagine what that was like when it was covered with water and surrounded by millions of fish. So no surprise to me. G good to see. If you're going to build a house, build it back a little ways, a couple blocks back from the ocean, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, well... You and I, we both know we've looked at this our whole lives. All these cliffs that they built these houses on, it's all sand. <laughs> it's all sand. Mm -hmm, right. It's sand. You yeah. look at it and you go, that's sand. Yeah, it has some ice plant growing on it. It has some, some plants growing on it, but it's sand and sand and water. 
that just happens, man. It just, it's been happening since long before you and I were here and it's going to keep on happening. And they were all told when they built their houses there, it was going to happen. But yeah, we feel bad for them to a point, but not really. So gang, we're going to jump into your questions here in a minute, Jeff. All of you that have questions, we're going to jump in. Let me just show you real quick. I got to show you a couple things real fast, pay my bills, and then we'll jump right back in here. So hold on here. Hey guys, this is John Bretza, Director of Product Development for Okuma Fishing Tackle. What we have here is an addition to the Tesoro spinning reel line. This is a new 6,000 size that all you've been waiting for. Great reel for all those guys down in the southeast or the northeast that want to go target you know, big fish on lighter tackle. This 6,000 size holds 290 yards of 30 pound braid or 195 yards of 50 pound braid. It's packed with features. It's all Lumalite construction, body, side plate, and rotor. It's got the IPX7 full waterproof body, so if this thing gets submerged, you're gonna have no issues at all with it fishing. As far as a drag system, it features a carbonite drag system with a maximum 33 pounds of drag pressure, so a tremendous drag output. So say you're gonna take this and fish a, a small, medium-sized tarpon, you're gonna have a pulling power with this reel. The best feature it has is it has Okuma's new flight drive system. So that's gonna give you that really smooth operation so it feels good all day long when you're on the water. And one of the things when you're fishing braided line, there's a lot of stress placed on any reel regardless of you know brand or manufacturer. The one thing that we equipped this reel to make the Tesoro different is that instead of a stainless steel spool shaft, we used a titanium spool shaft. So this thing's super strong, super durable, but it's also something that's never gonna corrode. This uh, little 6,000 size reel has a dual and reverse, and it's all machine cut gearing. Uh, machine cut brass, main gear, and penny gear. The Tesoro 6000 has a 6.2 to 1 gear ratio, and that has 41.3 inches of line pickup. The entire reel weighs in at only 15.8 ounces. This reel is going to retail for $359. And one thing that's unique about this reel that's different than the larger Tesoros is that when you flip that bale over, and you turn the handle, the bale's gonna automatically engage. On the larger sizes, most anglers don't want that feature, but this is more universal for live baiting and casting and jigging, so we put that feature into this 6,000 size. If you wanna find out more information on the new Tesoro 6000, check it out at okumafishingusa.com or go see it at a local retailer near you. The 2024 fishing and boating season at the most exciting saltwater, freshwater, and recreational outdoor show in Southern California at the amazing Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show. Orange County Fair and Event Center, March 7th through the 10th. Trout ponds for the kids and an unbelievable lineup of seminars with the most knowledgeable and experienced captains, guides, and professionals in the business. Over three acres of exhibits, boats, and incredible early season discounts. Bring the entire family. Orange County Fair and Event Center, March 7th through the 10th. Gang, there's going to be discounts at the show for those Akuma reels. Akuma's going to be running some phenomenal discounts. We're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to have John Bretz on here as we go into that show. He's going to talk about all the great deals they're going to have at the PCS show. So just make sure you show up there. And don't forget, if you're wearing any of my shirt, I know that a lot of people ask you about all, do I get the free stuff Dave's got? I'm going to be giving out free stuff. If you wear my clothes at the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show, I got Costa Del Mar. I got Pro Mar. I got AFCO. I got Akuma. I got Deccan Sports. They're all giving me swag to give out to you and your friends if you show up wearing my clothes. Wearing a shirt or wearing a hat, 
your saltwater guide, you won't be disappointed. And then you bring your children to my seminars and I'm speaking every day at the show. You bring your children. I give free stuff to all children that show up and I make it all about them. So it'll be a special day for your kids. Plus Jay from Prehistoric Pets, he will be at the show with a bunch of his animals, probably some lizards and snakes and alligators and turtles. And uh, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. Your children will have a ball. It'll be great for the kids and I'll make sure they feel super special and they'll say next year, we want to go see Captain Dave, mom or dad. So make sure you show up at the show. Bill, back to that spinning reel John was just talking about. We kind of touched mm -hmm. on it a couple weeks ago when you were with me. And I just locked on to what John was saying again, how the thing doesn't let any salt water into it or any sand into it. That is a huge thing for surf fishing, right? Oh, that makes such a big difference, you know. Um, even though you're going to pay more for that reel, when you think about the fact you could go through five reels and it would be the same cost as that. And you know, those reels are built. If you take care of them, you can easily use them for five years. So that makes a really big difference. And, and I guarantee you, as time goes on, the price of those reels will come down or they'll have a, just different models that are a little bit less expensive and but are still sealed. Um, prior to that, as I had mentioned before, Penn had sealed reels. Which, which they use for striper fishing on the East Coast, but they weighed about eight pounds. They were super heavy, super heavy. So not effective in the surf at all, unless you're striper fishing and you're offshore up to your waist or chest in water. But, but now that Okuma sees that, you know, that's the way that everything's going, makes a lot of sense. Great to see. Yeah, they're up there in the front of the, they're in the front of the pack, definitely on their designs. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So as we come into this as things start to dry out and everything, you in your heart know that there's going to be some phenomenal early spring fishing along the beach, right? What could some of the things that our watchers or our followers be in store for? Or what would they be looking for? Well, first of all, I don't know why we're waiting for spring. Because <laughs> it's spring. Screw spring. In a, in it's, I, you know, it's really unbelievably good right now. Let's not say unbelievably, but surprisingly good right now. Um, you know, over the last three weeks, I've spoken to whew, two, three, four thousand people. Um, in the last three weeks, there have been five Corbina caught over 22 inches. Every single one of them has been caught on a motor oil style grub anywhere from a one and a half inch to a 2.2 inch grub um, that is very unusual for this time of year normally in the winter we're going to see maybe one or two of these big corbina caught all the rest of them are going to be in estuaries harbors back bay areas well the reason they're not in those areas the reason they're still along the beach is that anglers are telling me hey bill you know we're still still seeing sand crabs all along the beach in Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Seal Beach, e even up in, in Long Beach, inside the Long Beach Harbor. So we're seeing those fish along there now. They're still feeding along the coast. They're really thin on what's available for them to eat, and that's why they're eating those grubs. Here's a good example of, of what one of these grubs look like. So fishing now is good. Now perch fishing has also been phenomenally good. Interestingly enough, we had some really big perch down at um, Silver Strand, 
down along uh, Coronado um, Island there, Hotel Del Coronado right in front of there. It'd been some really good um, perch fishing along there maybe a month and a half ago. Now we're seeing it all along the coast, up into, you know, really Palos Verdes all the way down to San Diego. We're seeing it in the South Bay. And of course, we're always going to see that traditionally in the Malibu, Leo Carrillo, Point Magoo, Ventura area. But guys have been using these these big grubs, and this is a 2.2 inch grub. This is made by Honey Badger baits, um, handmade baits. Got a little paddle tail on the end of it there. But this has taken four of those um, big uh, uh, corbina in the last three weeks or so. And then one has been on the curly tail grub. So I, I think we're going to see that continue. I think we're going to see in between these storms some good surf fishing in there. And then once this stuff starts clearing up, and we're going to see that a little bit earlier, I think, than we'd normally see. Normally see that coming late April into May. Well, believe it or not, we're looking around the 4th of March. We're going to see our first swell coming up from Antarctica, from off of New Zealand. That's going to come all the way up from that area, thousands of miles away. We're going to see some waist-high surf from the south, which is going to push even more warm water our way really early in the season. We're talking about a month and a half earlier than we would normally see. So once we get these storms out of the way and as these storms come down the coast, they're going to get less and less strong. We're going to see them probably March a little bit less strong, April strong, and they're going to be gone in May. We're going to begin to have all these swells from the south. So we really have a lot of good surf fishing coming. And we're going to see sand crabs on the beach. I mean, we see them now, but we're seeing them in big numbers instead of May 1st. We might see them this year on April 1st. So very unusual uh, pattern this winter, but more of an El Nino pattern and certainly an early spring and early summer and some fantastic surf fishing on the horizon. You see that Anthony right there, Kotlin? That's kind of what you're showing, the motor oil red grub. That's exactly what you're showing right yep. now in that. And uh, so when we're fishing those grubs, let's talk about that because there's a lot of people on here that want to go do this. When I'm fishing that grub, am I throwing it as far out as I can? Or am I fishing it in those? I already know the answer because you helped me a long time ago with this. Or am I fishing in the right there by my ankles in the troughs? Well, you know, first of all, you're fishing with, you know, this time of year, you're going to want to have a longer rod because you're casting your baits offshore. You're not going to be fishing. You're going to be fishing close to shore, but you're going to try to cover as much surface area as possible which you don't do with the live bait. You have a more of a gingerly cast when we get to the spring and the summertime. So in a time, time like this time of year, I'm going to use probably a nine foot rod, six pound test. I'm going to be fishing the Carolina rig. I'm going to be fishing a fan casting motion. So I'm going to be casting out 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, two o'clock, trying to cover as much surface area as I possibly can. I'm casting out. I'm slowly retrieving towards shore. I'm always staying tight to my sinker. So I want to I want to cover a lot of surface area on the bottom as I possibly can. And especially in that 10 o'clock and that, that 2 o'clock where I'm not going out past the surf. I'm actually in the surf, but covering more of the surf line, more of that trough that I possibly can and getting that back to shore. And then I'm, I'm always staying tight to my sinker. And then as soon as I feel a tug at all of my line, I'm reeling down, 
lifting my rod up, trying to hook that fish and bringing it to shore. If I don't hook that fish, just dropping it straight down to the bottom and then slowly retrieving it back to shore. So that's why I'm looking for a little bit longer rod this time of year. And of course, six pound test is plenty heavy enough for me to use. And then once again, you know, I'm using these, you know, two to one and a half to two and a half inch grubs, either with a paddle tail like this or, or with one with a, a curly tail. And that's really what's going to be getting the job done this time of year. My good friend Pondo right there. I just put him up there because he had a compliment for me and I'll take it. But uh, he surf fishes all the time in San Clemente. And I know he fishes south of the San Clemente Pier. Most of the videos and pictures I see with him fishing in there. What kind of a tip can you give him for that zone? What's he going to be looking for? What's he going to be doing here the next month or so? Fishing with that grub? Is that what he's going to be doing? Yeah, he, he's going to be fishing primarily with the grub. I mean, you could use a gulp bait or, or you could use a crocodile or cast master in the surf. But those grubs are going to be really the most effective for the biggest fish, including halibut this time of year. So I would definitely be using that and I would be trying the fish near structure, near pier pilings, near um, rock outcroppings, near jetties, things like that on the edge of where that meets sand, right on that edge where, where the jetty comes down and it meets the sand on the bottom. That little, I don't know, L-shaped area is going to be where most of the fish are. And I'm going to fish that area. I'm also going to look for some type of hot sauce to dip my lures into, my, my grubs into. I want them to have a little flavor to them. So when, when those fish bite down on them, not only do they have the softness, but they've got some flavor to it and they hang on to the bait then. Okay. Now that hot sauce, here's a question for me, because I've always thought you put that stuff on there, you make a cast, the stuff all goes away while you're winding it in because it's not penetrating into the bait. So am I going to hit the hot sauce every single time? No, and, and let me show you something. Yeah, help Captain Dave out. It's always good to learn. I always think I know everything, and I know I don't. <laughs> it's it's good to act like you know everything, but no, you're, it really does take a little bit of experience, but that, that's the benefit of all of this is that once we have somebody show us something, you know, it's a lot like driving the car. You can read a book when you're 15 years old all about driving a car, but when your dad sits you down in the driver's seat and buckles you up and tells you to take over, in about 15 minutes, you figure it out. It would take you who knows how long in the car. So whenever somebody can give you a little bit of advice, you can kind of put that away upstairs and then apply that to what you're doing with fishing. Not only will we be more efficient, not only will we catch more fish, not only will we have more fun, but you'll be able to take that idea and expand upon it yourself. So you know, when we go to the tackle shops and we look at, you know, quote unquote hot sauce, what we find is all of the hot sauces out there that sell for maybe, you know, a nice bottle of it for 15 bucks. They have vinegar and they have oil in them. The reason that they have oil in them is oil, of course, is what we use inside these packages of grubs. So the grubs don't stick together. If we didn't put two or three drops of olive oil inside of here these would just be one giant ball so first thing we remember is you know that they've got oil in it the second thing they have is vinegar vinegar although is not something that occurs naturally in the ocean when the fish bite down on it and they feel the 
texture that they're used to on what they would normally eat in the area where they live, they get that flavor burst and they hang on to it. So if we went back about 20 years ago, 25 years, maybe 30 years ago, a while ago, um, my buddies and I, we would fish in a, on the lake at Paris Lake for bass fishing. And my buddy Brad would make this mixture of, of uh, garlic and oil and vinegar and just the nastiest stuff. And we'd squirt it on the, the seat of these rental boats and we'd dip our worm in it about every three or four casts when we're fishing for largemouth and smallmouth bass and it was incredibly effective the only downside was when we took the boat back usually the boat rental people would yell at us because we had this stinky juice in there and they'd have to wash it out of the boat so as time went on you know we didn't have money for a boat and we're going fishing on the rocks and believe it or not we had stopped by taco bell and taco bell you know they the guy at taco bell's like hey what do you want i want a taco and a burrito you want some hot sauce sure and he'd load us up with about 15 packages of hot sauce, right? And we wonder what all that hot sauce was for. So we went down on the rocks and we're sitting on the rocks and we squirted out some hot sauce on the rocks. We dipped our worms into that Taco Bell hot sauce and cast it out. One or two turns of the handle, boom, we were hooked up. Well, we realized that maybe that hot sauce was going to work at the beach too. So what we did was it collected the hot sauce. And we put it into a little Ziploc bag like this that we would, a little kind of a snack size bag. We take a couple packages and squeeze them into there. We put it into our pocket, go down to the beach and about every fifth cast, we dip our lure into there. That oil would hold it onto that lure. That vinegar would penetrate that lure. And so when we cast out our grub right into the surf, it would have that dripping off there. Sure, it hit the water and make a little oil slick. But by the time that thing would get to the bottom, it would leave some flavor on there. And they'd come by and they would jam up and bite that thing. And the minute they got their lips around that, they'd hang on to it because of that vinegar on it. So that's what we use for hot sauce. Taco Bell, Del Taco, Panda Express. They've all got hot sauce. They all work. Squeeze a couple of those bags into the bag. Take it with you to the beach. So the next time you go and get hot sauce, next, or rather, next time you go to Taco Bell and they ask if you want some hot sauce, you'll say, I love hot sauce. And you'll squeeze a couple on your taco. The other 10 will go over your shoulder into the back seat. And that's where you'll keep your little stash of hot sauce for fishing in the surf. So once again, the, the benefit of that hot sauce is just squeeze a couple packs of it into that Ziploc bag. You can dip your bait on it. They're going to help you with fishing. But the other thing to remember is you're standing down on the surf, particularly where, where you live. You're standing down on that surf. The water's somewhat warm. You're getting hungry. Remember, taco floats in through the surf. Boom! You got hot sauce right there. You're ready to go. You're ready for a meal. So I joke not. Largemouth bass, smallmouth bass. Surf fishing, rockfish fishing, hot sauce works fantastic. Your microphone's off. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? We can hear you now. You just oh, came back. 
what the heck is wrong with me? I don't have Elliot here producing for me. I'm running them up. <laughs> so yeah, I would, I, I, I've had this argument before and I've told people there's no way it works. It's just, it's a gimmick, but okay. I stand corrected. I just learned something very valuable and I'm not gonna, I'm going to buy into it because you said so. And who am I to argue with Bill Varney? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some advice. The next time you're ready to drop back that pink Marlin lure, squirt a, 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 a thing of hot sauce on it and send it back there. You never know. Right. Crazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> can you hear me now? Definitely. I can hear you fine. I can hear you fine. Yeah. I okay. mean, David definitely so. works. It, it definitely works. There's no joking about it. And, and, as I mentioned, in the rock cod fishing world, and a lot of times I'll not only drop a bait down there, but I'm going to put on, before I put the bait on, I'm going to put one of those gulp, um, um, God, what are they called? Uh, polywogs, those red gulp polywog on there, which I have in a bag for a couple of days before soaking in the hot sauce. And, and man alive, it works. Um, okay. I just learned something that's amazing. I can't. Yep. It's okay to learn at 62 years old. And yes, Arnie, it's my damn birthday. I'm an old man now. I filed for uh, social security this morning. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty blown away at how easy it is. I had, and people go, well, you should have waited till you're 65. I don't know if you guys have seen what's going on today in the United States of America, but I'm going to get some before it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get some before they give it all away so yep i'm not waiting to, at all i'm taking the little bit that i'm getting and i'm taking it and i'm getting it now so um gang if you guys have any questions we we have time for questions we've got 15 minutes here we want to we want to hit any of your questions you have every single one of you that are wishing me a happy birthday I appreciate all of you. We got like 50 some people watching live right now. I'd love to mention everybody's name, but then we wouldn't have any time to answer any questions. Can you, okay, here we go. There's a question for us, Bill. Can you see that? That's a great question. And, and the answer is yes. And, and, you know, often on, on the gold baits, rather than leaving them in the juice that they come in, I actually put them in the hot sauce, but yes, you can take your grubs and you can take them off the hook um, and, and then you can just, you know, drop it right into the bag and just keep it in there for a day, a week, a month, however long it is between the time, hopefully not a month, between the times when you go surf fishing one time and another time. And it works great. I mean, the only thing is you'll have a little bit of so sauce on your fingers. But, you know, one of the great things I love about fishing, I know, Dave, you're the same way, is that wherever we go fishing, we're always around water. So if we get stuff on our hands, we just reach over and wash it off, you know. And at the beach, I get a little sand on there and I rub it off. It's like lava soap. Remember that? That soap, lava, God, I'm really dating myself here. And it'll grind that stuff right off your hands and wash it right off in the water. You're ready to rock and roll. So, yes, you can definitely leave it right in the Ziploc bag and just put that in your in your tackle bag or wherever you keep your surf fishing tackle. And then when the day you go to the beach a week later, you're ready to just pull it out. And there it is, ready to go. Absolutely works great. 
that is so cool. And going back to learning, Bill, and going back to what you were saying about it 45 minutes ago, how we keep the stuff in our brain and, it, and we use it when we need it and you learn all the time. This is what happened last week. I was in Lopez Mateos with Mark Rayer and we were fishing those snook in the mangroves. And we had this really strange sardine. I don't know what it's called. I never seen them before. They were hardy. You couldn't kill them with a baseball bat. These things were really bitching. They weren't the Monterey's that we have in California, and they weren't the wide-bodied ones we have down here in Cabo. This is a different fish that swim into the mangroves, and we were catching them with the throw net. And we were fishing, and when you'd hook them in the nose, they wouldn't have it. They would just kind of lay there and undulate with the, the hook, kind of dragging them down. And I was just racking my brain for the first day. I just couldn't figure out how I could hook them is the right way. I'd hook them in the butt. They would do nothing. Then I remembered, and you remember this, back in the old days when we used to have brown bait for bait, and you, you would hook the brown bait in the chest. Remember where the pectoral fins come out, those two pec fins? You hook it right there. I brought that back from, oh my gosh, the 70s, and I hooked that bait on, and you would have thought that that thing just ate a bunch of steroids. It went bananas. It hit the water. It would swim at 100 miles an hour, and bam, snook, snook, snook after snook after snook and i looked at rare and i said mark hook it right here and he's all no i'm doing fine hooking it in the nose i go try it right here and he hooked it right there and he got that 18 pound snook he got his personal best the biggest one he's ever caught and it was just all this stuff bill's talking about all the stuff i talk about and all the stuff you're learning when you're out there on the water every day gang is you got to hold on to that stuff and every once in a while we go back into the computer and we try to go what was that and all of a sudden it was there. And, and that's that's some pretty powerful knowledge to have and to hold on to. And the things you're talking about, we all can bring that stuff back and pull it up. And yeah, 62 today. I know it's hard to believe. I would have never thought I would live this old. When I was in my 30s, I guaranteed you I wasn't going to be 60 because people that were 60 were old. And there's no way Dave Hansen was ever going to be an old man. Here I am, gang. It's pretty wild. <sighs> crazy absolutely you you look old <laughs> i thank you very very much i appreciate that <laughs> I appreciate you know that. i i turned 65 this year um which which is amazing and i also totally off the subject here i also took my social security at 62 because uh, uh, you know I'm a financial guy, but a friend of mine who's an engineer, who's a total nerd, um, told me to do the math. So I did the math. And if I waited till 67 to take it versus 62, my break even was like 77 years old, where I would actually be making more money in the long run if I had awaited. And, um, you know, A, who knows if you're going to live till 77 or 87 or whatever it would take to really make it worthwhile a b is the system going to have money in it in 15 more years or whatever so that they were you know he said take it early and he took his early and he he unfortunately passed away a few months ago at 75 so yeah i i, I think it always in in large part unless you got all kinds of other money um take it take it early because i don't know about you dave but I look back at my, you know, my, my, you know, records, the, the, the government's records on me. I started paying into Social Security at 70 in 1971. 
And I was not going to wait another 10 years or 15, 15 years in that case. I was not going to wait another 15 years to start taking my Social Security when I paid in in 1971. I mean, you do the math on that, man. That was 50 some odd years ago. So um, definitely worthwhile to take it now. Um, it goes up as, as time, if you don't know already, it goes up with the cost of living. When we have an incredible president who has very low inflation and gets the economy going, it goes up by like 3% a year, which is very little. When you got a super lame president who causes inflation, it goes, went up by 9% last year. So, um, yeah, take it early. I'm, I'm, I'm telling most people, take, take the darn Social Security money early. Absolutely. That's my money. And like you said, I started paying into it in 74 and you don't even know until you know, and when you go and you look, gang, it was the, if anybody's think about it, I, it was the easiest thing. I couldn't even believe it when I typed in the information and it went, here you go. Here's your record of employment. And I was like, holy mackerel, I've been working for a long time. And my father did me a giant favor by taking money out when I was in 74, when I was just a little kid, I was 14, but I was getting a paycheck. Because back in those days, you could do that. Back in those days, you could pay kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and back in those yeah. days, I was getting a paycheck. So I paid. Oh, we're still having problems with your microphone again. Yes, we are. How about now? Nope. There we go. That sounds good. Okay. I don't know. I got That was good. I, like Elliot says, you got to quit touching stuff, Dave. Quit touching stuff. All right, gang. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions? We got like nine minutes, gang. We yeah, got Bill, go, Bill. Yeah, there, there were a couple, there were a couple questions here. Um, Newbie Painter was saying, uh, "How do you think this warmer water will affect the ghost shrimp hunting off of Dog Beach?" Um, the the warmer water has never affected the the ghost shrimp, it, it, or you know, the ghost shrimp population and and their spawning and all of that stuff. And in general, ghost shrimp grow at a greater rate in warmer water, especially warmer brackish water, than they do in cooler water. So we, we'll actually have as many or more ghost shrimp this summer as we would normally have. No problem there for sure. Um, Matt Martin asks, um, when planning a surf trip, do you prefer slack tide low or high to maximize our bite? So let's talk a little bit about tides. I know we're running out of time and that, you know, tides is like a three hour we conversation here, but real quickly, we can go. Over. Okay. So here, here's the way that we look at tides, a couple different ways. One is that whenever you have a dredged beach, so beaches that are dredged are like, um, Hermosa, Manhattan, Redondo, Santa Monica, Dockweiler, um, Playa Vista, uh, uh, Huntington, Newport, not so much Newport anymore, but Newport to some extent. Um, then you get down to like Mission Beach. Um, any, any beach where they have added sand to the beaches is a dredged beach. And those beaches, if you went back to Hermosa, Manhattan, Redondo, Torrance, Santa Monica, you went back to the 1930s before the dredging, which happened in the 60s, those beaches this time of year had rocks on them. They no longer have rocks on them. The rocks are about 30 to 40 feet under sand. 
So whenever you have a dredge beach like that, it's good, great to fish two hours before high tide to two hours after high tide because all of that natural um, rocks and structure that was there before is now covered. So a dredge beach two hours before high to two hours after high tide. You look at beaches that are not been dredged, beaches like Carlsbad, um, Malibu, Leo Carrillo, um, let's see, San Clemente, you know, below the pier there, um, places like that. You're going to find that those beaches fish well at both a low tide and a high tide because you have natural structure that's available at both those tide periods of time. And the third of all, you look at beaches, particularly beaches that have not been dredged, that have a lot of kelp on them and eelgrass, and really all of the San Diego beaches are like that. And that's always good to fish one hour after high tide up toward high tide. So most of that kelp and eelgrass is on the beach. And as each successive wave comes in, it fills in over where the food is and the fish surf in those waves as they come in from low to high tide. So that would just be general surf fishing. If I was fishing specifically for halibut, I would fish one half hour before high tide to one hour, half hour after high tide. And on, on at a low tide period, one half hour before low tide to one half hour after low tide. And the reason for that is um, halibut do not feed in tide change periods. They feed when there's slack tide and there's very little water movement. So whenever I'm halibut fishing, I'm looking for very little water movement half hour before the tide change, half hour after that during those slack tide periods. And then I'm looking for corbina, spotfin, yellowfin, croaker, perch. That is always going to be during the tide change when there's a lot of tide change. Those fish do not feed during slack tide periods, which is when the tide, when the fish feed, halibut feed, for example. They're going to feed during with the movement of the tide. And so I'm always looking for moving tide for corbina, spotfin, yellowfin, and perch. And then once again, slack tide, very little tide movement for halibut. That's the tide periods you're looking for. Gang, I want to say something real quick. One of my idols in the industry is watching our show right now. So now I feel like I made it, Bill Varney. Philip Friedman is watching right now. He just said we're giving great stuff. So now I know I made it. When I'm doing podcasts and Phil Freeman's watching, I have made it to the big time, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't checked out Phil's podcast, every morning he starts off with that good morning and what's going on. And uh, I watch it all the time because I, I miss stuff and I don't know everything. I, I know I already told you that, Bill, but Phil lets everyone in on what's going on on the water every single morning. Surfside, he's down there at the beach in the morning. He's a huge surf fishing guy. You and him, I know you guys have fished a lot together. Phil, thanks for watching. I appreciate it. Friedman Adventures Gang, you can watch him every morning. It's a pretty cool podcast. You can listen to it on your way to work, which is bitching, because then you'll probably call in sick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Phil and I were just hanging out and talking just three days ago. And, you know, what we were talking here, here's another two hour subject. Uh, something we we're talking about, about Phil is, you know, down in Surfside where Phil lives, they are dredging the beach down there. And there's a huge pipe that comes from offshore onto the beach where all the sand is, you know, being sucked off the bottom of the ocean off there and then put right into the surf line. And, and Phil and I were talking about the fact that, you know, when that 
pipe, that pipe is, I think it's a six inch pipe coming off of there is sucking up all kinds of clams and crabs and worms out of that deeper water. And they're depositing it right onto the beach. And you, you, they open up that pipe and that thing is spitting that stuff onto the, really the inner tidal area right there. And the first thing you notice is 200 birds right there. And people will say to, you know, Phil and I like, Hey, are there any fish around here? And my God, you know, there are, like I said, dozens and dozens of seagulls standing right there in, in knee-deep water, you know, knee-deep to them, eating all of this stuff that's coming out of the pipe. That's got to be one of the best places to surf fish, particularly when that pipe first starts belching that stuff out for two or three or four days. There's an incredible amount of spot fin, yellowfin, perch, halibut you know, Corbina, all in that zone where that dredging is being done. All right. Well, we're going to go over because I got a couple of questions now that I would need. We're going over, <laughs> gang. So those of you that got to go back to lunch, I apologize. But uh, you can watch this later on your way home from or listen to it on your way from work. Okay, Bill. San Clemente, just below the pier, they're dredging like crazy, too. They're trying to figure out, you know, all the sand has left the beaches. All the sand has left the beaches. So you're telling me that those big beaches in Huntington Beach and the big beaches in Seal Beach and Surfside and all that Long Beach, all that stuff, all that sand left there and they blew all that up there and it made it stick for all those years? Really? That's right. That's exactly right. Now, now they have progressed. They have budgeting where they do more dredging now than they used to do in the past. But in the 1960s, the mid early, really 62 through about 68, they had dredges all along the California coast from Santa Monica to Newport Beach. That was that was basically taking sand offshore anywhere from five feet deep to 60 feet deep. And then blowing that sand through these giant pumps on shore so that it builds up the sand there and actually extended the beach out, not only to make those beaches bigger for people to enjoy, but more importantly, to to um, to make it safe or, or to um, put up a berm of some sort between those what were to be million dollar houses one day and the ocean. So now they're going back and they're realizing that that sand is being washed away and those houses that are now worth tens of millions of dollars in some areas, just an individual house, let alone the whole block along the strand, is going to need this sand to keep them from washing away. And when they take that sand offshore, all the stuff that's living down in that sand is now being belched out onto the intertidal area. In other words, anywhere from dry sand to maybe two feet of sand. And, and it's belching out all of this clams and worms and you name it that's out there. And the fish are feeding on it and the birds are feeding on it. Everything that knows what's going on, that would be excluding a lot of the anglers, is down there eating all that stuff coming out of that pipe. Okay. That's awesome. You can hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Look at that on the screen right now, gang. That's the QR code for Bill's calendar. We were just talking about Tide, and I didn't get to talk about his calendar. It's it's crucial. I don't even know if you have any left. I'm throwing that up there without even asking you. Do you got any calendars left? We've got about 100 calendars left out of 3,500. Okay, there you go, gang. So you better get your calendar. It's time. You want to get out there and go fishing. 
I'm throwing that up there. Grab the QR code right now. Or Bill, tell them where they can go because there's a lot of people driving around that aren't seeing the QR code. Tell them where they can get your calendar. I'm going to pull the calendar down in a minute. And so tell them. It's very easy for everybody to find the calendar. Really look at all the Surfish equipment that I use at surffishtackle.com. Surffishtackle.com. Just go right there. Look at all the different the hooks and the sinkers and lures and the different size of baits that we use, the colors, all those things. It's really going to open up your eyes, open up your mind uh, to what's out there and what you should be looking for, whether you come to my store online or whether you go to a tackle shop either one it'll give you a really good idea of what we're what we use what we utilize every single day on the beach can they get your book there too they sure can they get the book the calendar get surfish id card there so they know what they're catching use a little grease pencil and check them off as you go get them all all listed on there and then you can take a picture of it and mail it to me be go. glad to see it there you go gang so Okay, so I got another question because this, I know we've talked about this beach dredging thing for a long time. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And that's a nice thing about getting older. You start to learn that you, you don't actually know everything and it's cool to learn stuff. That's part of getting older too. And so when they're dredging, when they're grabbing the ocean floor and throwing it up on the beach, how in the ever loving world that we live in today are the environmentalists allowing that to happen you, you know that i don't know that that's a very good question um you know all of the the irony of course of all of this stuff always gets to me but for example there's a two there's a federal um a, agreement for the estuary at bolsa chica to be dredged, the, the entrance and exit there, to be dredged every two years because they know the importance of that. They had those, um, they had dredging of those for a few years, maybe even back 40 years ago, and then they all filled in with sand. They were filled in for 20 or 30 years, and they wondered why the biomass went down of surf fish, of the perch and the spot fin, the yellowfin, the corbina. It was because they had nowhere to go in in the winter and spawn, to find food, to find a safe place to be. So now every two years, they have an automatic system where the, the, they have an um, agreement where these companies go in the dredge company and they put in the pipe, they put in the dredge machines and bring out the bulldozers and they do all this work on the beach. And um, that's the last thing we want them to stop. It's one of the most important things they could do is to keep those estuaries open. So fish can transit in and out of those estuaries, populate the beaches, increase the biomass and have a place to go in and have food, a place to spawn and a place that's safe for them in the winter. So really, you know, they do sometimes come back and complain about some of that stuff, but thank goodness the state of California sees that as a benefit and continues to pay for that dredging. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering when I was in San Clem when I was coming through, you know, when I was up there at the Bard Hall show, I saw this stuff going on off the San Clemente pier, the barge, the dredge, the whole thing. And I thought to myself, how in the world, because, you know, they react with no knowledge or no science at all when they make these closures and do all the things that they do. And I was like, 
these people and the people that are causing 99.9% of the closures aren't beach people. They're not ocean people. They're not water people. And so when they're, they're standing on the beach looking at this thing that is good for the environment, but they see that it's being done with fossil fuels and the pipes blowing the sand up on the beach from, which has always been funny to me when you're taking the, the sand from the ocean and putting it on the beach, we, you and I both know that's where it's supposed to be. The sand goes on the beach, then it comes, washes back out into the ocean. But those kind of normal thinking things aren't what normally occurs in California. So I was just wondering, and you being a part of CCA and you being on the inside of a lot of the stuff that they were able to get that go through. But obviously they've been doing it longer than I've been alive. So they understand. But then the guy that's running the state right now, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand an indoor and an outdoor restaurant. So how would he understand that? I don't understand. <laughs> well, he says he's a big fisherman. He says he loves fishing. I, I, I've never actually seen our governor fishing or a picture of him fishing or him talking about fishing, really. But he says he loves it. So I hope that's the case. Um, you know, ho ho hopefully, you know. Without CCA, um, we, we would be completely lost because all, all of this, many of their decisions are based on emotional decisions and, and you really can't be scientific and make things better when you base it on emotion. You have to base it on, you know, really empirical evidence, which is what you see with your eyes and what you hear with your ears and what you feel with your, with your hands and your feet and stuff. So as long as we can continue to promote CCA, have People like Wayne get in front of um, all of these decision makers and hopefully bring some sense to it and have them take a minute to step back and think about things. I think we're going to be fine. California has unbelievable resources, both onshore and offshore. And there's no reason that that should not continue and, and our biomass and all of the environment continue to improve over time or at least stay at where, where it is. I, I really don't see a lot of problems in Southern California. I mean, our major problems in California are in Southern California, and they have to do with the Hyperion plant in El Segundo and the Hyperion plant that's down in Orange County. And provided we could get around that someday and treat all of that water, that, that's really the only issue we have is water quality in Southern California. When you look at the biomass and the quality of the kelp forests at all of the islands off of California and the number of fish there are and, and the, the basic quality of the water, such clean water we have off, off of all of California, it's fantastic. We have better biomass, better water, better habitat off of the west coast of the United States than almost anywhere in the entire world. It's fantastic. We're very, very blessed. Well, yeah, because we did a lot because it wasn't like that in the 60s, in the 50s. That's 50s. right. We used it as a, we used it as the, the landfill. The ocean was used as a landfill. Mm -hmm. We've done more. California has done more for the ocean than anybody on the planet, any any coastal community on the planet they're, they're just they're, there's nothing that compares to what california's done but we're getting to a point now where enough's enough we did everything we need to do let's just remember mm -hmm. time to enjoy the ocean and time to go out there and the really cool thing about talking to you about this dredging thing bill is myself i'm i'm one of the people that thought it was a dumb thing to do to take that 
and blow that up there because you're like, wait a minute, won't the won't the beach just fix itself? But apparently it won't now. And I'm I'm right back to learning new stuff. I'm telling you, gang, if you kick back and listen instead of always talking, there's a good chance you're gonna learn some stuff. Now I just learned something very, very important for me to know that this dredging thing has been going on forever and it's a good thing. Good for the environment, good for the fish, good for the surf, good for everything. It doesn't hurt anything. So thank you because my buddy and I were talking a couple nights ago because he's pissed. He lives in San Clemente. He's a waterman. He's been there his whole life. And he's like, all the kelp's gone now. All the kelp's gone because they took all the sand and blew it up on the beach. And I, I'm the I'm on his side. I'm like, yeah, it's it's horrible. It's the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. But now I got to call him up after the show and explain to him that it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And it didn't destroy the kelp. And it's just the kelp's gone because the kelp's gone. The kelp's gone because the kelp's gone. We've seen it go. We've seen it come. My dad used to tell me, Bill, when he was in the Coast Guard and he was stationed up at Port Wyneme, he said the kelp went from San Francisco to Mag Bay. And there wasn't a break in it. There wasn't the barn kelp, the yellowtail kelp, yep. the horseshoe kelp. It was the kelp went from San Francisco because that's as far as he went north. And I know it went way farther north than that, but he only had his. And the kelp was like that. And he said in 57 and 58, you couldn't catch a bass the size of your index finger. Those two years, they couldn't catch anything. They were settling the jack. And he talks about it on that podcast I did with him before he passed away. They were settling the jackpot in the summertime in 1957 with Tom Cod. Because there weren't even any green mackerel. Because the commercial guys had fished that green mackerel. They thought they had extinct it. They thought they had wiped it out. So they were settling. And this was in the dead of the summer, gang. And people talk, and my dad used to get so upset when people go, oh, the good old Don, you remember the good old days? He's off. Yeah, I do because I was there. You guys weren't there. So you don't have anything to compare it to. He goes, right now is the good old days. It's never been as good as it is right now. You know, and you and I talked about this before we went on the air about this calico bass baloney where they took our calico bass away from us. And now they can't, we only get 14 inch and they have to be five of them. And you and I both know there was never a problem with calico bass. That's never been a problem. There's billions and billions and billions of them. And because of the people that kept crying about it were people that don't know how to fish. And they would say, oh, I can't catch a bass. I can't get. Well, that's because you suck. Not because there wasn't any bass, but you won. You won and you got them to close it. And you got them to take it away from those of us like Bill and myself that actually know how to fish and enjoy fishing and enjoy eating calico bass. There's nothing better than having a calico bass for breakfast, a nice calico bass for lunch, and a sensible snack in the middle of the day, calico bass, and then having calico bass for dinner. And now all of a sudden I can only have them for breakfast and dinner because I'm only allowed five. I can't have the 10 I used to have. It's just ridiculous, gang. And you got to remember, it's okay to learn. And I'm learning today like I've never learned before. And I think it's because I'm a senior citizen now. <laughs> that, that could that could be the reason but you know all, all all of this you know the whole dredging and all this mumbo jumbo that humans do this all started in california about 1850 you know 
from about 1835 to about 1850 was the whaling period and and um pr prior to the 1830s there most of the whaling was done on the east coast in, in particular between boston and long island was a very big whaling area and so when most of those whales were taken and and they weren't like calico bass <laughs> there was only a limited number of them the whalers decided that they needed to go around the cape and come all the way up to the west coast and so between basically mag bay zone and um gosh i'd say about san francisco is where the whalers found a tremendous amount of whales but the whaling period was a very short period of time because on the west coast because once again like the east coast there was a limited number of whales but when those big ships came up the coast and the spaniards at that point were running california they realized that there was a tremendous amount of trade that was available on the west coast of the united states that needed to be taken to the east coast and back in those days there was really no way of getting trade from the west coast to the east coast there was no train system and they also found that there was a tremendous amount of lumber that was in um, northern california oregon and washington that could be used to build cities like chicago and atlanta and and be begin to kind of populate places like florida so what they did was they built these lumber piers off of California and, and Oregon and, and some in Washington and realizing that there was no way for them to get the lumber other than by ship to the East Coast, they built train stations that came from Chicago called the Zephyr through the California desert and then and Nevada into Southern California into Los Angeles into Pasadena and then ultimately into Los Angeles where the USC campus is now. And they built all these lumber piers along the coast in California. And then they began to realize that some of them would be taken down by storms. So they started building jetties along the California coast later to be replaced by oil jetties and oil piers and when they did all that and that began really about 1860 or so and then really got got really roll, rolling in the 1920s that that was going to stop the sand movement coming down from the coast in the winter time from the aleutian islands creating the storms and then pushing sand down the California and the West Coast of the United States down toward Baja. And then in the summer, it would turn around and then all the storms would come up from the south and repopulate all that sand that had been taken naturally down the coast. Well, once they built all of these harbors and uh, rock jetties and piers, it stopped the natural movement of all that sand going down and coming back up the west coast of the United States, of the really the northern hemisphere. And that's when they realized, and that really began in the 1930s, and then really came about in the 1960s, that that was where and how they were going to have to repopulate that sand in and around areas of, of the west coast that was being stopped by all these harbors that had been built, all these jetties that had been built, and all these piers that had been built. So we need all of this dredging to be done really beginning in the really 1930s 20s and 30s here in california to replenish the sand along our coast to to allow the habitat to grow back and to flourish and then once they did all that they kind of noticed that the kelp came and go not only with the temperature of the water 
but more importantly, with a tremendous amount of, um, uh, excuse me, purple sea urchin that was brought about through these sand changes. And that would eat all the roots of the cow. And really the Meister brothers, the inventors of the wetsuit, body glove, in the 19, early 1960s, late 1950s, discovered that if they went down and they killed all of this urchin or reduced its biomass dramatically, kelp would come back to the coast. And that's certainly what we've seen. And that is certainly why we have kelp beds here today and why there's issues up in central and northern California about the kelp beds that are all the roots are being eaten by, eaten by all this urchin that they send out divers and destroy the urchin. They find within a year or two, these gigantic kelp beds have come back. So it's all part and parcel of one another. And the dredging is what we have to do today to restore the habitat that was here naturally yesterday. Very, very interesting. I just learned a whole bunch of new stuff. And then you're talking about these urchins. That's the really funny thing about the MLPs. The MLPs, they, mm -hmm. they jumped in with, with 0, 0.0 science was done. Somebody couldn't catch a fish one day and they said, we got to close the ocean. And so the MLPs were invented. And then the problem is now they, and I talked to Wayne about this and had him on the show last year. Now they're coming back to Wayne. They're coming back to Bill. They're coming back to Frank. They're coming back to my dad. They're coming back to my sister. And they're saying, hey, do you guys know anybody that will go dive in here and, and get the urchins? And they're all like, no, we no, you closed it. You closed it and you closed it for everyone. No, we're not going to bail you out. We're not going to save you now. Now that they, you understand your science was non-existent and you close these giant pieces of the ocean with 0, 0.0 science and now you're finding out that you made a horrible mistake and you're reaping the benefits. Now the kelp's gone. And if the kelp's gone, then what you guys thought you were doing, restoring the fish, they're gone because there's no kelp for them to have their babies in. It's, it's pretty funny, Bill. It is when you think about that, it. That is, Dave, that is exactly what happened in the MPAs. Um, marine protected areas, they up north, that is absolutely exactly what happened. They close so up north, not not so much in the south here, I'm not sure why, but up north, there's all kinds of diving clubs, scuba diving clubs. There's a whole bunch of them. And so up north, they closed these areas, which you know, the diving clubs initially we're like wow that's totally awesome we can go diving in there although we can't spear there's all these fish you know it's all protected and all this but what happened is that the, all those urchins came back they ate all the kelp roots out of there and the kelp floated to the surface and off it went it was gone it was all dead and so now these clubs they have come back to the state and they have said to the state as a club we will dive in there for free for you it won't cost the taxpayer a penny and we'll go back to these areas we've, we've dove in for 40, 50, 60 years with our hammers and crush all of the, you know, or crush 90% of these urchins, which is, of course, will become instantly food for all the calico bass and perch in there and everything, cabazon and wrasse and all the millions of fish living in there. And then it will allow this kelp to come back and the, the state and federal government have got themselves in a pickle 
because the way they wrote the law will not allow them to get permission unless it's under a special um, permit, special permit that has to be basically voted on and approved by all these different groups for these divers to go back in for free and bring it back to the state, you know, the state that this, this, these areas, this habitat was in 15 years ago prior to this, these closures. So, yeah, they just, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face situation. It, it's amazing. And, and as I said, the, the private groups are just begging to come back in there and do the job for free to bring everything back to the way it was before. Yeah, it's pretty sad. We could go on and on and on forever and ever and ever. We will. We'll be back doing this Wednesday with Bill again. We're going to wrap this thing up. We're an hour and 22 minutes into it. We're usually set for an hour. Those of you that that hung with us through your lunch break, thank you very, very much. Gang, if you show up at the PCS show wearing a hat or a shirt from your saltwater guide or a pair of underwear or socks or whatever, you show up wearing some of my swag, you're going to get into the show for free. I mean, not into the show for free. You're going to get free stuff, and we're going to have really good stuff. It's going to be worth what you pay to buy the shirt or the hat from my store. Grab the QR code, gang. Jump over there. Look at all the cool products we have. We have stuff that you're going to love wearing. We got great coffee cups. We got great shirts with the great Dave Hansen sayings on them. Check it all out, gang. Bill Barney, thank you very, very much for being a part of the show. Thank you for jumping back in Wednesday. We missed you last week, but I know you were super busy. And so was I. I was fishing in Lopez Mateos. So we both were busy. <laughs> We'll be back with you all next Wednesday. Thank you all very, very much for all the time that you spent with us and the questions. And thanks for everybody for wishing me a happy birthday. I appreciate it. Thank you all very much. And we'll see you tomorrow. Kelly Girl will be joining the show. And then Jay Brewer from Prehistoric Pets will be with us on Friday. I'll see you all tomorrow. Bye.